Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 137 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where once again we have another addition into the things we say in passing that end up almost becoming reality bucket including last year, Maryland will beat Texas and lose to UCF. And this year, Maryland will somehow be competitive against Ohio State because I'm not watching. And I'll give you, Thomas, a bunch of credit because you said exactly the thing that needed to happen for Maryland to be competitive, and it did end up happening. It happened for, like, the like it lasted the whole game. I thought maybe Maryland would rip off a few big plays and hang around for a little bit. Um, but Maryland led, you know, for all of regulation except a couple points in the fourth quarter, didn't trail until overtime. Um, I, I mean, I guess it was just because you had like high school soccer to call. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I was calling high school soccer games on Saturday, eight games in two days out in Hershey, Pennsylvania. If you were actually watching that happening, and I don't know any of you were, unless you lived in Bedford, Pennsylvania, or some of the other locations in which their teams were in the high school soccer championships, there were eight of them uh, to do in two days, as I said, uh, you might have actually heard me fist pumping and scraping the mic every time I checked the Maryland score because oftentimes when I did that Maryland did something good it was really funny and this often happened while games were going on and I did tweet at one point when it was either between games or when it was at like at halftime or something I said is this score actually real what's happening and this was right before Maryland I think turned it over when they were up 17 to 3 but okay so I didn't watch I had a legit reason to in spite of me joking about it last week it's a shame that no one else is here to talk about this game because, Thomas, you need to give me the crash course of how it exactly played out because the ESPN game tracker can only tell me so much. I mean, the the absurdity of the numbers and kind of the scores as they happen, like, I think they do tell a pretty accurate story of the game is that, so so Maryland, you know, jumps out. It, it's this, the first minute of this football game is the most bonkers first minute of a game I've ever seen. Because Anthony McFarlane scores a touchdown, and then Maryland like pulls, uh, does what they did against Rutgers on the kickoff. They do like a short, angled kickoff that um, ends up kind of in no man's land, and no one jumps on it. And then they recover it, but then Maryland fumbles it away on the next play. Ohio State gets a field goal, and then McFarlane scores another long touchdown. And then the game settles into like regular madness after that. Um, neither defense can stop the other team's offense. Ohio State ends up with over 650 yards in regulation. Um, Maryland ends up with almost 500 on the nose. And, you know, uh, 
Maryland forces a couple more turnovers to sort of negate that difference. But ultimately, you know, Ohio State was definitely the better team, but it was a pretty even football game. And Maryland gave itself a chance. I think I would say that the last the last play is probably the right call to go for two, especially when you you know, they haven't they hadn't stopped Ohio State's offense in like an hour of real time. And the more overtimes they went into, I think Ohio State keeps scoring. So it's it makes a lot of sense to just go straight for the win there. I think in college with the two point with the two point conversion on the three yard line, it's it's really tough to run and get it. Um and so, you know, that kind of play, the a rollout with a few guys, that's probably your best option. And they had a man and um it wasn't like quite as easy and quite as open as it looked but it was a play that Maryland probably should have made okay let's settle down and go for a couple of things here first I completely forgot about the onside kick thank you for reminding me about that because until you mentioned it I had totally forgotten that that actually happened there are a lot of things in this game that like you know you can can forget about like the the worst game ever in a pick six it's really funny yes and also Maryland Going for two and not getting it will make a lot of people forget that Maryland had the ball back with a minute left in regulation and got into, like, you know, inside Ohio State's 40 and then took a sack. Well, took two sacks, actually, and couldn't get either a field goal attempt or a Hail Mary out of it. Two things that I also forgot were there. And Joseph Petrino actually missed a 48-yard field goal, I think, when Maryland was up something like 17-3 or 17-10. Like, 48-yarders aren't gimmies. But there's a lot of things in this game that you would forget because it was just completely and totally mad. Like, yeah, I mean, the, have you ever the whole third a quarter. Football game involving, we've watched football games involving not Maryland that's like that. But I've never even followed a Maryland game that was this completely insane and off the wall. Yeah, well, so the I've, I've covered a couple Maryland games that have been weird. Like, do you remember how actually absurd the quick lane bowl was? I do remember that. I do remember that. But, like, even then, that was, like, a normal level of ridiculous. Like, this was not a normal level of ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that was weird stuff from a game that was supposed to be boring. You know, the quick lane bowl against Boston College on the day after uh, Christmas that no one gives a crap about we're watching because there's nothing else to do versus Ohio State when Ohio State, if they win out, makes the playoff and Maryland has never been competitive against them. There's a different level of insane here. And also, okay, I want to say this off the top. Number one, Ohio State is bad for a good team. We always have the comment like, what's the worst good team you've ever seen? This Ohio State is the worst good team I've ever seen. They are really, really bad. And they, I hope they don't beat Michigan because they don't deserve anywhere near the playoff. Because they're going to get in if they win out, obviously. Uh, and Maryland, I mean, again, whatever you want to say about how this game played out defensively. Tyrell Pigram had a really good game. And I was reading a column where it's like, this is Maryland's backup. Like, you know, Tyrell Pigram's not actually a bad quarterback, let's be fair to him. He'd probably play better than Kasim Hill has done in every game sans, like, Texas, considering the quality of opposition. This is about Ohio State being a complete dumpster fire, on defense at least. Like, they learned nothing from that Purdue game. It's insane. And you got to give credit for Maryland for taking advantage of it on every single possible opportunity that they could. And there's even a point where it's like, okay, you can't expect them to run off a big play every single time they run the ball. And... Maryland almost did. That's the crazy thing about it. How many plays did they have bigger than 30 yards in this game? 
Well, thirty is a thirty is a bit because um, they had like a few twenty-five, twenty-seven yarders. Well, if it's more than twenty-yard plays, we're talking double digits, probably, right? Yeah, I mean, I know McFarland had five twenty-plus yard runs himself, that's including an eighty-one and a seventy-five. I mean, that's how you get to two ninety-eight. I mean, so he set a Maryland freshman rushing record the game before against Indiana, and then he beat it, and that's the second best Maryland rushing performance I think ever, right? Yes, behind Lamont Jordan who had 306, and that was also in a loss. Well, Lamont Jordan's in the booth, too, working with Johnny Holiday, so I bet he's having an interesting time uh, calling that game. And uh, there's so many angles to this, but let's not focus on the Ohio State angle. They're 10th in the playoff. They're thankfully behind UCF, which is where they should be, considering they're bad. But in terms of, like, this game, this seems like what the ceiling for this Maryland team was. We asked them to be competitive against a good team at some point. In their first couple of games this year against good teams, they were not competitive in the Big Ten, Texas aside. And they do what they needed to do in order to be competitive, and they made big plays. And it wasn't just Anthony McFarland. They connected on some big passes, too. And I think some of that is Tyro Pigram's threat to run. And we, we did talk a little bit about this when we were asking, should Tyro Pigram be used more? His versatility and the fact that he's more of a threat to run opened up Maryland's offense against Indiana, and it certainly did against Ohio State in a way that whatever you think about Kasim Hill, Pigram is obviously a legitimate option next year with Hill's health in question. don't think any Maryland fan is going to be disappointed if he starts opening day next year. No, I think a lot of Maryland fans are going to be rooting for it at this point because, I mean, just when he came in, even if his numbers haven't been great, the offense has looked very good throughout, I mean, throughout the whole year there was really no distinguishable difference between Pigram and Hill. And, but now there, there was a, but there was a clear difference in, you know, what the offense looked like the first half against Indiana. Um, and then when Pigram came in for the rest of that game and for all of the Ohio state game. And it's, it's certainly worth noting. I mean, the Hill had a lot of games like what Pigram had on Saturday was, you know, it didn't, complete a lot of passes i think pigram went like six of 13 um More like 8 15 but whatever it is it doesn't really matter it was it was not a lot of passes it wasn't like this great percentage um the yards are inflated by a few you know a few really big plays made a few clutch throws um made a few pretty bad throws pigram didn't have any like awful throws in this game he's had a few this year um and so but but those those deep balls, he threw a, a few just fantastic balls um, to Daryl Jones, to Jay Sean Jones, to Dante Demas, like all true freshmen. And th- that's one other point that I'll make now is it was senior day and Maryland is like very senior heavy in its starting lineup in general. But at, at these skill positions and the guys who racked up all the yards – are freshmen and redshirt freshmen and Pigram is a redshirt sophomore. And that is sort of a fascinating dynamic in like Maryland is going to lose a lot um, even before any potential attrition. Um, but it, the, the core is in place for the next couple years offensively. Well, at least next year, because Anthony McFarland, as somebody said, I think Chase Young said it, who went to DeMatha, uh, he said Anthony McFarland made money. It's one thing to run for a billion yards against Indiana on BTN when only Maryland fans are paying attention. It's a lot different when you're doing it against Ohio State. And I think everybody knows who Anthony McFarland is now. And 
Maryland might only have him for one more year. I hope they have him for one more year because with all the attrition at the program, you fear that somebody really good might want him. And he's got first-round draft potential in 2020 if he plays like that. I mean, Ohio State's defense is garbage. But Anthony McFarland is, you know, Stephon Diggs, Darius Hayward Bay, Torrey Smith level, Maryland player that rises above what Maryland really is as a program. And every now and again, you get a player like that, and Anthony McFarland is one of those players. It's amazing that he didn't play a down last year, and it's amazing that he started the year as, like, the fourth guy. So, I mean, the thing with last year is that was the, – the way the redshirt rule worked last year is he was not at full health at the start of the season. Um, he was still recovering from an injury he suffered before his senior year in high school. And so, you know, it was, it was kind of the smart thing to do to redshirt him at the time. And, and so he just hadn't really played football in two years, but, you know, he started to really get involved uh, against Bowling Green. I think he was leading receiver. Um, and then he had two hundred yard rushing games and then, you know, like the rest of the offense, he was kind of on and off, but the last two games, he's just been as dominant as any Maryland player I've seen in since I've been in college, I didn't watch much of Diggs. But when Diggs it's played that really kind of well, thing. there was no stopping him. Like, as I've always told the story, Stefan Diggs was the first Maryland player on football I knew by name. I, I knew that before I even went to decide to go to Maryland. And the rise in the stadium, every time that Stefan Diggs' name was mentioned, was palpable. You could feel it. And I'm pretty sure that next year you're going to have the same thing with Anthony McFarland. Like, the time his name gets mentioned, the entire stadium's going to rise up a little bit. You know? Like, that happened with DJ Moore. It happened. I can't tell you if it happened with Torrey Smith the day with Darius Hayward Bay. I bet it did. But Maryland has this tradition of developing really, really good skill position players. Not necessarily running backs. There's a lot more wide receivers. But, but you know, we're, we're talking about that now with Anthony McFarland. And whoever the next coach is has to do everything in their power to keep them together. You know, keep him at Maryland because I'm assuming he's going to be the draft pick in 2020. And then when you think about it, Harrison, Funk, Fleet Davis, Leak all return next year too. And all these freshman receivers. It might be the only place, quarterbacks, quarterbacks, and wide receivers, where Maryland has a really good group of returning players. It's really funny. Yeah, I mean, that that is the, you know, really interesting thing to keep an eye on. I'm, like, we, we'll have kind of all winter to talk about that and figure out who stays and um, who does what and how, you know, Hill progresses in his recovery. But, I, I mean, the way the freshman wideouts have developed throughout this season, like Dante Demas the last few weeks has emerged as a very legitimate deep threat. Um, we've seen, you know, a little, a lot of short and long from Daryl Jones. I mean, and we saw Jay Sean Jones the first week. Like that was, he's been a fixture in every Everything like almost everything Maryland has done well this season. Jay Sean Jones has been a part of it. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting when you think about how the team was constructed and how in many ways they were really young at the key positions, but they had experience everywhere else. And now next year it's the reverse. The skill positions are going to have all these great returning players, and everywhere else is going to be really green. Expect a lot of fifty-two, fifty-one games next year. Is basically what we're telling you. Uh, and eh, well. Can we talk about some other things about this game? I think defensively, yeah, they were a mess. And I think Lamont Jordan said on the air, I was reading Dave Tucker's timeline, our friend Dave Tucker's timeline, uh, and he was like, they were missing a lot of assignments. They were blowing a lot of things that they shouldn't. 
you know, blow in terms of coverages and the like. And this is a really talented group, a really veteran group, and they still got torched. I mean, Ohio State's really good on offense, but even then, uh, apparently it was bad in some of the defensive breakdowns. Now, when you give up 650 yards, that's a problem, no matter who you play. Uh, I don't know what that means for Andy Boo. We'll have to see about the coordinators uh, going forward. But Maryland's defense had issues like this last year. And when they won, they played pretty well because the other teams they were playing were kind of bad. But against good teams this year, they've had a lot of trouble defensively. And for a team that has as many veterans and as much experience as they had, that really shouldn't happen. Yeah, I mean, Maryland's run defense the last four games has really struggled. And, I mean, the last few years, Maryland's run defense was by far its biggest weakness. And, like, they they had solved that, it seemed. Um, But, like, now now it's a problem again. Like, they gave up. You know, the Illinois game was out of hand when, you know, the Illini got a lot of different, like a a couple really big running plays. Michigan State does not run the ball well. Maryland allowed almost 200 yards to them. They allowed a career high to uh, Hayward, their running back, including an 80-yard run. Um, Indiana had its way. And that was with what, like their third string running back? uh, Backup backup still a backup i mean that wasn't even well he's been he's been the starter all year and he's been a very that guy stevie scott he, he took over because the starting running back towards acl in week one um that 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 you know he's been very good but you know maryland made him look a little better than he was and jk dobbins hasn't had a great year either yeah well, um, he, he's he is year. dobbins is like supremely talented and it's been you know kind of a curious thing that he hasn't been as productive this year but on on saturday it looked like he was the monster he was supposed to be like and that's that's maryland really well until this week which is a slight problem and again we talk about all the players that maryland's gonna lose next year defensively and or the coordinator which was we thought the biggest weakness in terms of the staff at the very least and so we'll have to see how that goes with the coaching staff because we have no idea how that's going to play out Uh, in the coming weeks, but of course we will talk about that. The last thing I want to mention about this game, uh, and it comes with like the old atmosphere around the program. This was the most watched college football game on Saturday. It's probably the most watched Maryland football game, I think, in like seven years since the Miami Monday night game when they introduced the Maryland flag helmets and everybody vomited on Twitter, right? It's a game in which Maryland showed that it's more than what happened this year, not just to the outside world who were probably watching to see if Ohio State was going to lose, but I think mostly to like the people in the community of Maryland saying like, you should care about this team. There are reasons to care about this team. If they can do this at their worst, what can they do at their best? And in many ways, this kind of feels like the turning the page moment for Maryland football. Like what happened is in the past, we've now turned the page and we can move forward in terms of what this program can be and what it is capable of. And I mean, obviously it would have been more pronounced if they won, but the fact that they lost by one in overtime to Ohio State, a team that they lost to by an average of like 39 the first four times they played them, is a really big step forward, I think, for this program. And to me, it kind of feels like the moment where it's like, okay, Maryland fans, it's okay to care about this team now. I mean, to me, the it, it's been fine to care about the team and the players for a while. And I think, you know, a lot of Maryland fans have kind of approach this different ways some people have struggled with it is just just compartmentalizing rooting for the team with rooting for the university because a lot of people you know felt sort of 
betrayed almost by like university leadership and officials and they don't play football yeah the the kids who are playing football have you know really been kind of the the good in all of this um and we saw that when they beat texas and the the level of pride that i saw from you know like on campus on twitter and and just in general conversation with other people about maryland after that game was unlike you know it was just so different from everything that i had you know been having to talk to people about for the last month and you know this game offered a lot of that again um with the caveat of what happened on that last play and that that's the one sad difference well i mean like as i said they should have gone for two i was totally okay with that i didn't see how the game played out so i had no idea what the play call was I couldn't see it. I didn't see how it was executed until I looked at the GIF later. And it's like they didn't execute one play. And if you're one play away from Ohio State when you have been 100 plays away from Ohio State in recent years, to me that's an improvement considering what they've gone through. You know, that to me is, is a step in the right direction. And I think it gives everybody the closure of, okay, that happened. It's going to live with us for a long time. But now we can kind of move forward and say these kids, or at least a lot of them who have been through this, you know, deserve our respect. We deserve to care about them, you know. And a lot of the people who screwed this program over are going to be gone by the time Maryland next takes the field in College Park. And that's all of them except Damon Evans, at least at this point. So I'm not going to mention the Wallace Lowe story that just came out that Jeff Barker reported because we don't need to talk about that at this point. But to me, like, that, that it kind of felt like this was the turning of the page moment. And it kind of feels like this is the start of something new for Maryland football. Whatever it is, who knows? It doesn't mean they're going to be good. I have no idea. But it feels like something has changed and something is starting, right? Maybe. I mean, it's it's kind of hard for me to put put that much stock in it. I think, like, as you said, Ohio State is a very flawed team, well, even with the record that it has. What I say about that. Ohio State is still Ohio State, right? We've complained for a while. Maryland can't yes, compete with Yes, this the- was... I don't care. It was a statement performance because Maryland, you know, it it jumped out and it it stayed with Ohio State, even when Ohio State was like insane on offense all game. Listen, and it well, the joke was this was the DMV game because Ohio State's best players were well, Dwayne Haskins. Certainly we're all DMV kids. It's like you think this area can't produce football talent. It does. But to me, it's like Ohio State carries a cachet, you know, that. Texas doesn't at Maryland. You know what I mean? Like beating Texas is really funny. And we're going to look back on it and say, this was amazing to watch happen twice, but you're in the big 10 and it's like watching Maryland. If it's like watching Maryland compete with Clemson, if they were still in the ACC or Florida state, you know what I mean? It like, it carries a certain cachet and because it's Ohio state and everybody knows what Ohio state means when you say it, that's why I think it changes a little bit in terms of the view of the program around campus and around the Maryland community. And I hope it does. I hope it says to people they can compete against these teams and it's not going to be long before they beat them, you know? And on another day, they probably do beat Ohio State. Because Ohio State, with that defense, I don't care how good your offense is, you got no business being in the game with a 5-5 five and five team when you're giving up 51 points in all these big plays. But one more question on this game, and then we'll talk briefly about Penn State. And it has to do with the coaching. And I hate asking reductive questions like this, but I have to. What about Matt Canada now? Because 
I've always been on Team Matt Canada until better options are found. If he had won this game, obviously he would have gotten a lot more sway from the Maryland community. I still think he probably does. So what do we think of Matt Canada now after he almost pulled off one of the biggest upsets in recent Maryland program history? I think it helps his case for sure. I still wouldn't consider him the favorite at the moment. I I mean, like, I don't know how you can't consider him the favorite unless there's a better option. And what are the better options? But we don't know behind the scenes what's going on, and we'll have to figure that out at some point. But I don't see how he can't be seriously considered for this job. He should be. Yeah. So Maryland's playing Penn State on Saturday at season finale. I think they're going to get destroyed. I think they're emotionally wrecked and in a bad state right now because of what's happened to them. But who knows? They were competitive against Ohio State when most of us cynics didn't think they were going to be. But Penn State actually has a defense that is in Ohio State. So I, I don't think it's going to go particularly well. I think this can this can either go – like Maryland's probably going to run out of gas at some point. You know, two really, really close games uh, that, you know, in in both games, the season's kind of on the line. You're going for that sixth win. And for Maryland in particular, it's going it, to – there's such a different feeling about winning six games after everything that, that that's happened. And so for both – you know they've they've come really close to that sixth win twice. Um, I, I don't know how much gas is left in the tank, and they could run out. They could be out right now. They could run out during the game, or maybe they don't. I think if if they still have enough gas for like a full other game, I think they can probably be somewhat competitive. I don't know if they'll put a, a Penn State on real upset alert, but my guess is Maryland kind of stays in the game for a while and fades down the stretch would be probably the middle ground for that. I would think so too. And obviously the motivation for Maryland to beat Penn state, there shouldn't be any motivation. You always want to beat Penn state at everything, but uh, Hey, you can knock them out of a new Year's six ball. That would be fantastic. But I see even less of a chance that Maryland's going to be Penn state than they would be at Ohio state. Cause Ohio state at least has a switch cheese defense. So that's football, at least for now. And now we go to basketball. We did talk about NCANT last week, two games to get to a uh, Hofstra which I didn't watch a second of, and Mount Saves Mary's, which I watched to feel better about myself after watching my other football team choke away a game late. It was a great experience. But now I want to focus on these two games and the dichotomy that there is and just the general theming. The Hofstra game after reading about it was Maryland played six people and Mark Turgeon trusted those six people and that's it. Then Mount St. Mary's was, oh, look, there's a bench. So how do we put these two games together as Maryland is now about to go into a stretch where they're playing actually good teams? I mean, I think it, it says that, you know, Maryland didn't – like, Hofstra is a way, way better team than Mount St. Mary's. And, you know, Mount St. Mary's, that's the kind of game that you schedule so that you can get your bench players a lot more comfortable, get them a lot more playing time. Um, I mean, the whole thing with, with Hofstra is Maryland just played a really bad first half, and then Turgeon went with the six guys he trusts. And the next two opponents are – Marshall and Virginia. Marshall is a top 100 team. Uh, Marshall's a team that made the second round of the NCAA tournament last year. Virginia's a number four team in the country. And has so, a suffocatingly good defense. Yeah, and so you, Maryland will need to, you know, you, you, you can't really rely on six people against both of those teams, even though there's a bit of a gap between the games. And so it's it's about what can... Sorrell Smith bring it's what can Ricky Lindo bring it's can 
Joshua Tamayich and even Bender be productive for as long as they're out there. And we just don't know. Like it's still inconclusive. Um, we've seen flashes from everyone. Sorrell Smith had, you know, had his version of a breakout game. He had 13 against the Mount, Mount Saint, against the Mount, but I don't know. We'll see. So in terms of the six that Mark Turgeon trusts, it's really no surprises with them. Bruno Fernando still has the foul trouble issues. I think there was one time where he got called for a T for hanging on the rim, which is stupid. But he's doing really well when he's on the floor. Anthony Cowan's doing Anthony Cowan things. Didn't Ayala had one of those games where he didn't score? I think it was NCA and T. So there's a little bit of up and down with them. But the six that Mark Turgeon trusts are playing good basketball. But one of them's going to have to rise above the fray at Maryland, not just to beat Marshall, but obviously to beat Virginia. So at this point, what do we think we're going to see against Marshall and Virginia? Because these are games that are a true step up and are probably going to tell us a lot more about where Marin actually is as opposed to these five games where we haven't really learned all that much. Yeah, I think these are the games where, you know, keeping Fernando on the floor makes even more of a difference because neither of those teams has anyone who would stop Bruno Fernando if he's on. And Bruno Fernando, you know, he was 8 of 8 and... 10 of 12 in these last two games. Uh, and that includes like chucking up a three randomly. <laughs> so that's what 18 of 19 on twos. It's crazy. And he's getting his shots. What inside the restricted area all the time. He's just going in and bulldozing people. Now he can't do that against Marshall and particularly Virginia and not really in the big 10, but you know, this is a Maryland team right now that's looking at the Big Ten and thinking, oh, it might be better than we thought because everybody else is playing pretty well. Iowa's playing well. Iowa State's playing well. Purdue was close against Virginia Tech. It's like this is the kind of thing that Maryland's going to have to deal with, and this is where the step up happens. Yeah, going and, off AP votes, just, just real quick, is like Maryland is up to 28th in the AP poll, so like third outside the top 25. Mm-hmm. That puts them ninth in the Big Ten all of a sudden. Like, that's the kind of because, thing you now start to see, because Indiana's ahead of them. Yeah, because Iowa, Indiana, Wisconsin Michigan have all picked up now. really good wins. Yeah, Wisconsin, too. It's kind of one of those things where Maryland now needs to kind of prove itself, too. And these are the first times it gets a chance to prove itself. Yeah. So, I'm really interested in this Marshall game, because Maryland could play them really close and be doing things that Maryland really shouldn't be doing against Marshall, even considering what they did last year, and then everybody freaks out. Or they could blow them out, and everybody's overexcited for the Virginia game. But we'll see. Uh, it, it's, an intriguing, it's an intriguing change in pace for Maryland, but I think they can do it. Like, Jalen Smith is still really good, and I don't think we've seen an Anthony Cowan breakout game yet by his standards. No, I mean, he had a very good second half against Navy. But he hasn't been the... the leading scorer and Maryland hasn't needed him to be his shot is still kind of not great at the moment but he's been effective they are playing him off the ball more it's kind of like what we saw when he's putting up really good stat lines he's getting rebounds he's getting some assists I think the rebounds are the rebounds are surprising me a little bit the rebounding Maryland's been a good rebounding team this year very much so and that's not usually something we could say about Maryland. Even well, in these games. One basketball team. 
well, even even in these games against lower level teams, like rebounding was an area that Maryland wasn't destroying other teams, and so far they have been. And that's, and that's a what really happens. Really good sign because you need that when you're playing against good teams because you can get second possessions. That's when having somebody like Bruno Fernando and even Jalen Smith really does help. So really intrigued by these coming games for Maryland against Marshall and Virginia. We'll probably podcast after the Virginia game. Now we go to non-revs and uh, how would it be like to play on a team? It goes to a national championship game two years in a row and then loses to an undefeated team twice. And that's unfortunately what Maryland field hockey has to deal with. They do everything right until the final game. And that's got to be brutal. We've seen this happen with some teams, like men's lacrosse has gone to a bunch of really good games and then run out of steam at the last possible moment or played a team that just played better than them and it happened again for field hockey. Like, the field hockey team is really, really good, and then there's always one team that's just slightly better than them. Yeah, well, I mean, the last two years with Connecticut and North Carolina, I mean, last year's Maryland team, in, in kind of fairness, had no real business being in the title game. Like, they were outside of the tournament picture for a while of that season um really turned it on halfway through the year um picked up some some signature wins and then made their run through the tournament um and and almost beat UConn I think that was a two to one game this was a two nothing game UNC jumped ahead early just dominated the first half Maryland really controlled the second half but couldn't you know I think they had six shots on goal all in the second half and they couldn't connect on them and that's really a difference i mean it's it's hard to win championships it's obviously redundant to say but it's just reinforced by you know seeing these last two title games is that there are there are always other good teams out there and And sports like field hockey where the depth of field isn't exactly great yeah, the depth of field might not be great, but there's that is there's that bunch up at the top, you know, however many teams that might be. I mean, we saw this on women's lacrosse the last few years as well. Yeah, we saw with men's lacrosse for a billion years. Maryland was always one of the better mm-hmm. teams and they just never until recently got over the hump. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's hard to get over the hump. And, and field hockey's done it, obviously, more recently than – well, they've, they've done it a lot and they haven't had any droughts, but – we're not talking men's lacrosse style drafts, but that, I mean, it's just brutal to watch you go through that to play as well as you did to beat the team that beat you in the national championship game again, then to get there and lose to another team that's undefeated. That's brutal. And I feel for them because they have been so good all year. One blip and that was pretty much it. I mean, they, they, they had lost twice before and, you know, they had looked kind of shaky in a few of their other wins. But I mean, when that team, when that team was on, they were, you know, as good as anyone but maybe North Carolina. And so it was it, it was probably the right matchup in the title game. And I think, if nothing else, there's some solace in knowing it. So let's go on to more positive things, Thomas. And uh, how about we talk about the women's basketball destruction of South Carolina? And that was destruction. If you didn't watch that, shame on you. Because that was awesome. And it started off as... It, it looked like it would be the other way because Maryland was down real quick, 12-2. They were down 18-6, and then they went on a 39-8 run. And the game, they didn't put it away until the fourth quarter, but they really, really put it away. I mean, they were up by, at one point, like 29 or something. And we're talking yeah. top 10 team in their gym. 
I don't care how good South Carolina. I mean, may it's or may not, not just be. any gym. Is South Carolina leads the nation in attendance? That is a that is a very program. difficult place to play. And Maryland went in there and killed them. And it, it, this team, we kind of knew had a potential to do this, but you watch that game, you went, "Oh my God, how good can this team really be?" They went from pretty good team to this team can make the Final Four, irrespective of what South Carolina might end up being. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to say what South Carolina is without Asia Wilson. I think, you know, they'll they'll get a lot better as the season goes on. Um, Maryland, with, retur- you know, so much returning from last year, even with adding a lot of freshmen, is more complete at the moment. But, I mean, this is the kind of win, you know, on the road, add a marquee opponent by this much. Maryland, I mean, hasn't had a win like this since since I've been in school. You know, and I, I covered the team. They beat Louisville when Louisville was in the top five or ten. Um, they beat Ohio State last year at home. Yeah, by, that was the one where they they, like they ran away. Year. They ran over Ohio State in a year that they were not better than Ohio State. Um, but I mean, this one is because of when it is, because of who it's against. It's it's a statement unlike anything Maryland has sent in a very long time. And we could say, I mean, Blair Watson returned. She played really well. Kyla Charles is playing really well. The freshmen played really well. This team is really deep. And Andrew Freeze teams always out-rebound another team. But I haven't watched a game in which I saw somebody got so thoroughly dominated on the glass in a long time. Men's or women's basketball at any level. Maryland was getting every single rebound that was available to them. And South Carolina, I think, made one three in the entire game. And that obviously helps. But Maryland was beating them up at every possible opportunity. And that is a statement, as you said. And I don't know what it says about Maryland right now because they don't play a ton of other great teams the rest of the way. They play Georgia. I can't remember who else they play. Uh, They have Iowa and Minnesota and some good teams at the top of the Big Ten. And I think Georgia Tech, too, who just beat Georgia. But this is a Maryland team that right now you start thinking about them come March and you're thinking they can compete with some of the best teams in the country. And there's no doubt about that now. Yeah, I mean, the the national picture is a little bit different this year. It's not, you know, the last couple of years Maryland was supposedly, you know, in the, in the very much in the national picture. It was UConn and everyone else. Um, this year it's kind of Notre Dame and UConn and then maybe a gap. We'll see. And we, we're not sure who's the next you got teams right after State, them. You got Louisville. You got some teams like that around who have always been really good. Baylor too. But... Yeah, and so Maryland is somewhere in that tier, and will you know it remains to be seen who can separate themselves from that. I mean, it's Maryland it's November, like we've that. Got time. They can separate themselves. Yes. Because that team, I don't know who's out rebounding them if Maryland plays like that. Now, Maryland's big this year, and having having a six five freshman who can just kind of do anything helps a lot. I yeah, would say certain, certain Shakira. That's, Austin that's my like, analysis. It was a great analysis, but it's like Shakira Austin's so stat lines look like misprints. By the way, they her do. first college game was a twelve twenty one and seven, that's and just, seven just, the seven is blocks. The seven is blocks. Like, twenty one is rebounds. They're, they're like the thing, she might not have had the best game for Maryland. On, on Sunday, like, that was crazy. Like, you could argue that other people had better games. 
and it's crazy. Like, that's how good this team is. And then next year, they add all these other crazy freshmen. And then if it's not next uh, this year, next year might be the year where you're thinking Maryland can win a national title. But this year, they're still pretty dang good. And yeah, next that, year, because they had, they had, you know, a top 10 player in the country. He was a point guard. They had even more and perimeter players. And player from this team. Yeah. They're, they're going to be really good this year, but next year they could be even better. So get extremely excited about Maryland women's basketball. I certainly was when watching that. That was a joy to watch and sit down and enjoy for most of the uh, afternoon. Now we go to Maryland men's soccer. They played NC State because this is the ACC Revenge Tour. They won comfortably. Another game I wish I was watching more of than what I was actually watching Sunday afternoon. And because we're going to continue the theme of running jokes on this show never die, guess who Maryland's playing this coming weekend of the tournament? Yeah, it is not Rutgers. (laughs) The Duke Blue Devils. Is it bad for me to say I want Maryland to win that game more than I want them to beat Penn State? Because I kind of do. I don't really ever. I I wouldn't hold that against you, honestly. Well, I might care more about Maryland men's soccer than some other people do, but it's it's still Duke, and that would be crazy because this team was not good for a large portion of the season. And if they win, what are they now, in the Elite Eight? They're, it's crazy, right? Maryland could be Maryland. It's like you know how good they could be when they play well. And this team still has – I mean, like, I mean, I know none of the players who are on this team actually played in the ACC, but Sasha certainly knows what it means to beat Duke. I think he's going to be motivated. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always something a little – extra special about Maryland Duke in any sport. And I think it's, I mean, it's not just because of the basketball rivalry. I mean, yeah, I mean, there are longtime ACC rivals in a lot of different sports um, where, you know, the coaches of the coaches have coached against each other and recruited against each other for, for a long time. I don't know when the last time, I mean, I know they played them in women's basketball once or twice. I, they played, I think, in lacrosse once or twice, too. This is the first time in soccer. Obviously, everybody wants to see them play in basketball, and men's basketball will never happen because of egos. But, you know. I mean, it hasn't happened in women's basketball either. I thought it happened in women's basketball. No, it was the year it was supposed to was like last year, where like Maryland was, I thought, due for a home game in that. Um, but instead, they went at Virginia. And this was uh, Lexi Brown, who transferred from Maryland to Duke. That was her redshirt senior year. So it would have been. I, sensible I think they've played and in cool once or twice since then. I know Maryland plays North Carolina every year. In, in well, they North played lacrosse Boston. in the Final Four. That's true. We don't talk we, about that. Yeah, we we don't. But like, this is the thing. Like, Maryland doesn't play Duke that often anymore. So when you ha- when you see it, it's a big deal. And especially field hockey NCAA game. tournament last year. Yep. So it's obviously they're not going to schedule against each other. So I'm really excited for that. I don't know what day it is. I think it's either Saturday or Sunday. That's Saturday night. Is it Saturday night? Well. Rather that than watch Notre Dame USA. So I'm watching that. And if they win, they're going to either play Kentucky or Lipscomb. Don't ask me what the hell Lipscomb came from. Kentucky's apparently good at soccer, too. They're good at, they're yep. good at soccer, basketball, and football all in the same year. How the hell does that happen? Why can't we have that? They, they sucked Louisville's powers. They Well, Louisville kind of gave them up voluntarily. Yes. And deservedly so, because they're a trash fire. They're another dysfunctional Viper pit and a team that's competing with Maryland for a football head coach, although they seem to have an idea of who they want. And finally, we'll go to volleyball. Uh, Now they're playing good teams in the Big Ten, and they're starting to not be able to get around to beating them. I think they had one set against Minnesota. I don't remember what happened against Wisconsin, but this is what happened. Wisconsin, they were close in all three sets, but 
didn't win any of them. But this is what happens when you play in the Big Ten in volleyball. It's a and here's the thing: is like this is these are the most like encouraging losses you can have. Not like the Maryland football and Ohio State loss. No, because I mean, I think it's just the nature of volleyball and that you know when you get swept like it, it takes a lot for a team to you know for you to actually win in volleyball you have to get to the fifth set or you have to you know win three different sets football like a few trick you know a few crazy plays a few turnovers can really keep you in a game and it can all come down to one play in a way that it, it doesn't volleyball soccer but is completely the opposite of volleyball yeah soccer field soccer, hockey fluke it are are so potentially fluky and even basketball in some ways is kind of fluky a little bit i mean it's it's five on five it's it's a lot of possessions but you can get hot yeah and in volleyball i mean you could lose 25 23 in every set and it looks a lot worse than it actually is and, and that's what's happening with with maryland and th- these are against you know top teams in the country these are teams that you know, would normally be beating Maryland 25 to like 15, 25, 17 in a set. And Maryland's putting up 21, 23 on them. I think they took either Wisconsin or Minnesota to 27, 25. Well, they got um, one and set they beat a set, And they beat a set against Minnesota as well. So, I mean, that team is playing its best of the season right now and is making a very legitimate push now for the NCAA tournament. Do you think they get in? I think they have to – well, they definitely have to be – I think it's Iowa this week on the road um, and then probably look at least competitive against Nebraska, which is not easy. If there's any, like, volleyball school in the country, Nebraska is one of them. Yes. They're all in the Big Ten. Well, Nebraska – I think there are some out west that are like that, but it's mostly Big Ten schools. Yeah. So – And also Kentucky. Apparently, yeah, because they have to be good at everything. Surprise. I, I know, right? It's, it's, it's Coach Cal's magic rubbing off or something like that. What what Maryland fan has said, let's hire Mark Stoops. Okay, let's not go down that road. Uh, nope. So that, I think, is pretty much it. So what do we now take away from the fact that Maryland is now becoming the school of so close yet so far? I mean, it's better than not being close. It's a it's a different brand of heartbreak. I think enough time watching BC sports has prepared me for those for this little in between. Um, I don't know. We'll see. The school of moral victories. Trust me, watching Maryland on Saturday was by far and away a million times better than what I watched on Sunday. I can one hundred percent guarantee you that. And if you know who I am, you know exactly what I'm referring to. And let's just say my remote control barely survived. That was bad. Old DJ Moore also had a billion yards instead of Panthers fresh uh, Panthers rookie receiver record. I almost said freshman. I'm sorry about that. But he was really good, and then the Panthers went for two in the fourth quarter and screwed up and lost because of it. Maryland's decision to go for two was way more defensible than Ron Rivera's decision to go for two, by the way. Just saying. And also, didn't DJ Moore look great? I love watching him play in that offense for the Panthers. It's a lot of fun. I mean, the, I mean, we've been I've been kind of waiting all year for his breakout game because he's had a few, you know, scattered moments. And this is the first game where the results really started to match what he's shown. And it was better than watching Stefan Diggs at night getting nothing from Kirk Cousins. That made me angry, too. 
Because at this point, I'm reduced to rooting for Maryland players, and yeah, that one made me angry too. But DJ Moore is doing really well, and I'm happy he's on a team that I kind of like in the Panthers. So, oh, I wish I had a fantasy team, which I could have drafted him. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy your Thanksgiving, by the way. Uh, please, Maryland beat Duke on Saturday night. And if they beat Penn State in football, that would be amazing. But somehow I doubt that's going to happen. But until then, of course, and until we talk probably after the beginning, go Terps.